And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torrezani. David is here. He's in D.C. I'm in the basement of a nondescript government building doing <gasps> research with your tax dollars. Ooh. Solving the world's problems. Oh, my God. And I have a beautiful head cold that you can hear in my already very nasally voice well you you know what i like your voice though i think it, it works it works for the it works for the pod <laughs> i'm a face for radio listen when this strike is over um the directors like you said they're going to be calling you and the writers and they're going to be like where is david Haggerty? we need him right now like that's what's going to happen that's quite honestly the last thing that's going to happen but i <laughs> Well, I have three topics that I want to talk about. The first topic that I want to talk about is something that I found so fascinating. One of my guests who was on a couple weeks ago, um, his name is Kyle Ayers. And I went to his live one, um, it was live, it was a one man show. And it was about him living with trigenital neuralgia. Do you know about this? There's an interesting dichotomy between people like myself mm -hmm. that have doctorates in, in neuroscience yeah, and clinically trained neurosurgeons. Right. And I think the world, the general public, the lay population, whomever, who's never like cracked open a medical textbook or looked at a cadaver, thinks we're like very similar. And like to me, the brain stops mm. the second you cross the first spinal vertebrae, C1. Mm. Interesting. And like there's people that study peripheral pain and, and spinal cord injury and like all that stuff. Sure. Like not to say that there aren't neuroscience out there who like actually look at things sure. below your chin. But like if you put a gun to my head and we're like name all 12 cranial nerves, couldn't do it. I would fail that test. Right, right, right. Well, it's just totally Which different. Maybe means I shouldn't have a doctorate. Well, you know also... what? We're not gonna we're not gonna take that doctorate away from you because of this podcast. Well, no, the reason why I asked is mm -hmm. because I went to go see the show and mm -hmm. and I obviously had interviewed him and I know him and learning so much. And I just thought it was so fascinating because, mm -hmm. you know, we we talked about you on the podcast. Um, and we say how you always used to tell me, you know, if you if someone says they know everything about the brain, like don't trust them because we know absolutely nothing about the brain in the grand scheme of things and like that we don't know specifics and I, and there's so much more to explore. I feel like our brain is like the ocean. We've only tapped into just a small amount of it. And is that statement still correct or or I I'm I'm giving you the long-winded answer as yeah. I normally do here. Yeah. But I think that like this statement is is deeply correct mm. and this statement also the one that i'm trying to make shows my bias around how i study and am trained and how people like me sort of do the active science sure there are many neurological conditions mm. that impact our mental health that reside physically outside of the brain there are many nerves that come out of the back of your brain into your spinal cord that sure. manifest themselves in, in sort of peripheral changes that like deeply influence our mental health and it is a blind spot for everyone like me wow like i know 
what this man's condition is, was, how it's been treated, et cetera, from like a general Wikipedia level understanding. Right, right. Like I can give you the highlights and, and bullet points of, you know, like this is the nerve that gets messed up and this is why it does the thing and you can go in and resect the tissue and like you'll see improvements. What it means beyond that, nobody has any, mm. absolutely no clue. And like, you know, I've said it before and I say it in many ways, but like not to scare people. We just like, we don't know. Right. And right. it is like, it is so wild to be like, it's still sort of the wild west of like, you take a scalpel and you cut into somebody's neck and skull and like remove a little bit of brain tissue here and there. And then you're like, oh, they feel better. Well, and what's so wild is that it didn't work. It worked for six months, right? And they, they put these- And then these... It, it regrows. Yes. Yeah. Well, they put these receptors, he was saying, I think he said receptors, yeah. where they like kept it so it wasn't like a loose wire. And he said in six months it came back. And I said to him, I go, is there any point where they thought, you know, maybe you're just like making it up? Like, or you feel like mm -hmm. there's still pain and it's like a phantom. And he goes, well, yeah. He's like, I'm in a support group where a guy has a phantom limb and like, wants to scratch the bottom of his foot even though it's not there and like to me that like blew my mind because I had never heard of phantom limb before and I had never mm -hmm. and so hearing about that so it's just it's it, and that's just like another example of like how wild our brain is that it can truly convince you that you have a foot there when it's not ever been there in years or something you know but this is like the like so this is the bananas like we've now approached me teaching neuroscience on a podcast again but like <laughs> There's a part of your brain, it's a strip. Uh -huh. At the top like of the here, brain? Okay. Uh, on the, the very outside of your brain too. Like okay. your brain's got a bunch of folds in it. Gyri and succuli for those of us who are Latin. Cool. Sounds like a succulent plant. <laughs> and inside that strip, there there's a, a, a sensory, a pre-sensory, a pre-motor. Sure. And then like where that border happens in your brain. Sure. Between the sensory and motor parts of your brain sort of cortex and neurons there's a strip of brain that's very sort of historically named the homunculus mm, okay. and as you go from the outside of this strip up to the top those neurons map to specific body parts okay so like there's a part of that homunculus cortex that maps to your hands and your feet and your waist and your arms and your neck and then your head so what happens is, is when someone cuts your arm off, there's part of your mortar cortex that have neurons that fire in response to where that arm is in space, whether it's touching something where it's getting sensory input, like all that comes up your arm through your nerves, up through your spinal cord into that part of your brain, which then sends feed forward signals out. Incredible. You cut that arm right. off, you lose the neurons locally here, but that part of your brain is still active. Right. Right. So like people that have phantom limb pain are humans, which means they're smart enough to, to look you in the face and look at their arm and be like, oh, it is not there anymore. Right, right, right. But those neurons in the top of your brain don't die. So the rest of the neurons in your brain are still pretty much convinced that you have an arm. But see, that's what's so wild, right? I mean, we're talking about how the brain believes something that something's there and, and physically, if we're looking, we're like, it's not there. But I'm trying to tell you, it's not a belief. It is ground truth. No, but like, I, I think splitting the words is really important because like what 
people who experience this kind of stuff are. Like the the mental health component of this right. is derived not from the fact that you have a belief that your arm is still there. For all intents and purposes, according to your brain, that it arm is. is there. Right. The mental health aspect of this comes in as you as a living individual who like operates in a society and a culture have to reconcile the fact that your brain is right, but your perception of your brain's reality is wrong. And to communicate that to other people is like bananas hard. Like right. We work with a lot of veterans who like lose limbs in combat or, right. you know, there's the physical, I have a, I've lost a limb mm -hmm. and I have pain where that limb no longer is that I have to deal with as an individual that is already hard enough. And then there's the like added social component on top of that being like, I now it is now my duty to explain to everyone else this wild biological phenomenon that I feel that causes me immense pain, hurt, suffering, confusion Yeah. to people that have that limb who can never feel this thing, who can never experience this who thing. Who can never understand it. You will get people who, who are, are sympathetic and empathetic sure. to that. And then you will get people who are like, I just, I don't know how to compute that. Mm. And like that friction is the thing that drives the mental health aspect to it. And like, it's a hypothesis to, you know, be like, there is nothing wrong with that man's brain. Mm -hmm. Molecularly speaking, how the neurons are assembled, they did a right, resection right. and came back. Where the, where the pain and suffering and mental health comes from is, is the amalgamation of all those things together. Like this is not like your blood pressure is high. Let's give you a, a drug to lower your blood right, pressure. Right, right. Like when you measure the thing with a tool, the measurement says, no, it's totally fine. Right. So like doctors then freak out because they're like, we are trained to be like, let's go in and take a blood test and see these markers. And, and if the markers are out of whack, then we know something's wrong and we can give you a drug to fix it. Like if you look at someone's brain and all the signals that you know how to measure are completely normal. And the person is like, I, I feel this immense pain or I feel this immense discomfort. And you're like, well, the test says this and you say this, we don't know what to do. But I think that that's my whole, my, you know, the whole point to mm -hmm. me, which and how I tried to relate to Kyle in a way of, yeah. I can't understand other than living with chronic migraines, I can't comprehend what it's like to be living with this this pain in your nerve, in your head, and it just, I mean, it's called the suicide disease for a reason, right? So yeah. Um, yeah. I can't understand that, or I can't understand the phantom limb thing, you know, but what I can understand is what it's like for someone to say, well, if we scan your brain, it looks beautiful and it looks great, but if we really were to get to the bottom of it, you know, you do live with something called a mental illness and you do need to be on medication because of it. So it's kind of that thing where, you know, just because that's what's so complicated, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is what's so complicated about the brain is that it's something you don't see. It's something you can't pinpoint and say, you broke your arm or you're right. We did your blood pressure and you need, you know, to be put on blood pressure medication because it's too low. It's like with your brain, it's, really trial and error when it comes to medication for antidepressants, for bipolar disorder, for schizophrenia, like all this stuff. It's because you can't see it. Someone can't see it walking down the street. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's sort of two camps of people in neuroscience right now too. There's the camp of people that are like, we all agree we can't see it, but there's people that think that 
we're missing it. How so, people that think that we can build new tools or we can come up with new brain scans or we can find these new biomarkers and then mental illness will be exactly like every other disease. There's too much sugar in your blood. And where do you land in this conversation? I look at the brain like a big control board. Huh. Like you ever been on set and there's like the big board with all the slot like sure. sliders and knobs and, and yeah. you see it in audio interfaces and video interfaces. To me that is the brain. Mm. It's a series of, of 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 wires that plug into that board. Mm-hmm. Information gets sent through that wires and then somebody sits in a mixing console and and changes the levels. Mm-hmm. And if you push the levels up over here it gets louder if you pull the levels down over here you know right. the colors change your brain just does that there just happens to be like a 10 to 100 different billion inputs at that control board and there's like people who are like oh i can take a picture of that board and be like this is what the board arrangement looks like when there's sure. disease and this is what the band like board arrangement looks like when there's health so there's people that think it's a signal processing issue uh-huh. we can we can find the, the, the signal we can correct that signal Correcting that signal will make everything sound and look pretty again. Right. For the analogy. I sit in the camp where it's not the levels. Uh-huh. It's the actual signal that comes into the board that's broken. Mm. There's, I believe there's something fundamentally wrong in the, there's like a kink in a cable somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's noise. It's static. It's yeah. like sitting in front of a television before cable disappeared right right and like you got you got static you got noise right right and how do you fix the noise versus how do you tune the noise Mm. at the board or two fundamentally different polar opposite mathematical ideas to try and solve so i would say i sit in both camps yeah (laughs) but i think that like you have to know where you are on that spectrum right and like there are many people and there are many organizations that do not know that this this spectrum exists mm. in the first place. Nonprofits, advocacy groups, yada yada yada, and they take their lived experience and they they churn it up and they say, "This is the problem, and this is how I'm going to solve the problem, and this is how I'm going to fundraise to do the thing." Mm. And inevitably, they get placed somewhere on that spectrum of like it is a signal to noise processing issue versus mm-hmm. it is a, we need to tune the parameters better issue. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them don't know where they are on that spectrum, mm. and a lot of them don't know how to differentiate each other. Right between where they are. There are a million mental health organizations. There are a million people having these conversations. Where they land, to someone like me, means a lot. Yeah, of course. And like we've got to do a better job at, at educating everyone else around us to be like, this spectrum is important. Mm-hmm. And it's not important to be like, there will be winners and losers in this battle. But if you could start to distribute so you don't have like clumps of organizations and people trying to solve the problem all at the exact point, same point on that right. spectrum. That distributed processing power gives you a lot more in advance. Huh. Okay. And I promise I will tie this back. No, uh, no, this is no, so no, fascinating. No, but like I'm saying, like I will, I will have uh, like my point is is your friend who you had on the podcast and you both said very nice things about me, which made me feel great. I feel like it's difficult to look at him and say there is nothing wrong with you. Mm. Like there is like a social and cultural and like makes you feel you have sympathy and empathy for people. And like because of that, the way we approach solving his biologically relevant problem 
gets steered through this lens of like there must be something wrong. Right, right. There must be some lever we can pull. There must be something that's going on. We must be able to go in there with a scalpel and cut it out. And my approach is the problem actually doesn't reside here. The problem resides here. What are therapies that we can build using biofeedback or, you know, EMDR or psychedelics? Right. That don't focus on the problem as a focalized, like to me, there's nothing wrong with this man. But the problem is not in the the balance here. We need to go in and cut stuff out or reconnect or plug things into the board differently. The problem is everywhere and you need to take a distributed approach to actually treating it. But like to get to that point, to, to make that turn and say, you know, I want to look at this problem differently. I want to look at solving sure. your mental health problem differently. Step one of that process is, is looking at him and saying, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm. And that's really difficult to do. Yeah. You need more diversity in the way that you approach those problems to try and solve them. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, I deeply sympathize and empathize with them, but like we yeah. went in, we cut out the thing and six months later it's back. Like to me, you've just proven my point is correct. Like there's nothing wrong with you there. Right, right. I say that with empathy. I yeah. want him to listen to this and like disagree with me and like have a conversation about yeah. it. But I like you have to like it's such a difficult problem to solve. This is not there's too much sugar in your blood, pee it out. Right, right. Like, and I think that that's what's so, so complicated, right? And the way that they, I mean, everyone should go back and listen to the episode because it'll explain so much. But I think that the the most insane thing to me is that he literally was in a relationship with this woman who was like Googling all of his symptoms when they were trying to figure it out, came up with mm-hmm. the most extreme, you know, suicide disease, right? Saw this, brought it into the doctor and the doctor actually was like, yeah, your worst fear actually is coming true. Like, this is what it is. And, like, to have mm-hmm. that moment, right? We always say, like, oh, never look at, at um, you know, not Wikipedia. What is it? Never look at... Um, WebMD. Thank you. WebMD. <laughs> <laughs> never look at Wikipedia. No, never look at WebMD. I mean, that because, too. Well, that too. But, yeah. <laughs> but never look at WebMD because it's always going to say that you're dying. You know what I mean? And then you go in there and it's like, oh, by the way, you are dying. You know? Um so it's just so wild. And so I, I just mm-hmm. was so curious kind of what your thoughts were. And, and you know, on a side note, I'll, I'll put you guys in touch because I think you guys would have a, a great time um, yeah. chatting. I mean, we know nothing, though. But that's what I'm saying. But like, that's my to point. know nothing yeah. and take the same approach to trying to learn something that you know fails over and over again. And <laughs> yeah. like, you sort of just got to take a step back and be like, I'm going to walk around the wall instead of trying to right. climb over it. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for that. My second topic that I wanted to talk about. Unrelated. Two and three are Slightly kind of related. very, are very related <laughs> in, a, in a weird way. But you know, it, it's, it was, you know, I had sent you this article um, that it was saying, uh, it was a People magazine. I love sending you like ridiculous things. And it was this woman that was saying that she's been breastfeeding for four years to her son who's four years old now and that she's going to continue, or a girl, I can't remember, but she's going to continue on. And it brought up this whole thing for me because it's so funny I am currently lady just turned 15 months um and I'm still breastfeeding her um on occasion she eats real food but you know she'll have a hit here and a hit there as I always say um and I'm totally more embarrassed now giving her breast milk 
out in public than I ever was even at the very beginning. And I feel like there is such a shame where people have been saying to me like, oh, well, aren't you, aren't you done? You're still breastfeeding. You're still doing this. And I'm like, well, when she's ready, she's ready. And it's interesting because I have some really good friends, um, really close friends actually, who, who I've become close with you know, through my mom group and through all this stuff and through babies and they're still breastfeeding as well. And, you know, we have, we laugh about it being like, oh my God, like, I can't believe that they're still in the boob. But like, we, we all have the same kind of, I wouldn't say like theory or the same like idea, like, but we all have the same thing where we're saying they'll stop when they're ready, you know, but is, you know, is it normal to continue on after a year? I mean, what is normal? Should I feel shamed? Should I tell everyone F off? Like, what is kind of the the science behind it all? I don't know. Not that I'm going to listen. I'm still going to breastfeed, but I'm just curious. Like, should I be shamed? And like, should I really feel this shame or should I be like, bye? I think that from a biological standpoint. Yeah. Again, like another controversial take as a scientist. I don't believe in evolution as a first principle of biology. Oh, interesting. You listen okay. to all these finance guys, like all these tech guys, and they're like first principles, first principles. And no one really knows what it means. But I think like in biology, a lot of people fall back onto evolution, which is a very real phenomenon for yeah. those of you who are going to clip the thing. And yeah. like you look at many other similarly related species mm -hmm. to us. Right. Things that we evolved from, things that essentially have breasts that produce milk, but all the way down to like cows, okay. udders. Right, right, like right. Similar right. biology. And whether they co evolved or evolved and then sort came of separately sure. and, and came to separate, sure. there are all words for this that we don't need to do. If you look at those animals and you say, you know, like I have mice in lab upstairs mm -hmm. right now, the females, they get pregnant, they produce milk. The little baby mice go up to them. They drink the milk. If you like calculate the 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 a percentage of time that a, a offspring or a, a weanling or some whatever we call it in biology like interacts with a with a mother that that's producing some sort of milk, goat, it gets hard mm. because if I put a male and a female mouse in a cage, or you have two goats in a field. Mm -hmm. What they do is they just constantly have sex. They constantly are boning. <laughs> They're constantly boning. <laughs> They're constantly having litters. Those litters are feeding. And how they decide that it's stop the stop time for the, the offspring to have milk, like when the cutoff date is, because they get pregnant again. Mm. And their biology changes so their milk supply drops off. Mm. And that's the, 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 the sort of impetus for those offspring to get weaned off of like the entire life cycle of, of most what you can think of as farm animals right. or primates that, that, that produce milk, that have breasts, that feed their children from those. The, entire, the, the entirety of their lifespan is focused on reproduction and offspring mm -hmm. rearing. Like that is their that's fundamental their job. Right. It's the purpose. So like we as humans have evolved out of that because we don't have 14 litters anymore. No. Well, some people do, but I, I some don't people do. On that. But for those people, yeah. If you're a, a mother who has 10 children 
independently of each other, not like twins or right, triplets right, or whatever. Right. Like you've gotten pregnant and you've delivered. Like to do that in your lifespan, you've got to stop breastfeeding at some point mm. and start producing another child at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm. So like people that look to evolution to be like, there are other animals out there that breastfeed for two years and then they stop doing it because their kids are old enough mm-hmm. and then therefore we as humans should follow the same pattern or it's too long in comparison to that socially we don't reproduce in the same way that the the, the beings that you're trying to compare yourself to right my official stance is a stop telling women what to do b if your boobs produce milk suck on it like just like <laughs> until that stops happening who Care. Yeah, I I mean, I, that's what's so crazy is I'm producing so much milk that I'm like, I, Bro, like, I can't stop. There is no biologically relevant reason why the breast milk that you produce after four years of breastfeeding your child right. is any different or any less beneficial than the first like six weeks. Yeah. And for like all the weirdo bodybuilders that are like absolutely roided out of their minds that are like stealing breast milk from Facebook groups to what? use is is what? Is, oh, this boy. is a thing? Wait. Yeah, man, like grown ass men have now decided on the internet that drinking breast milk is the ultimate protein source for pre workout and workout recovery. So oh. there's a bunch of dudes that are like hacking moms that overproduce milk that are donating it to other moms so you're saying this is a business that i could be doing while on strike yeah yeah. you should be pumping (laughs) your boobs into bags and selling those bags at the local gold but is there any truth to that yeah a little bit sure like i mean i know that they say that there's truth to like you know there's so many amazing antibodies that are in breast milk yeah yeah like, yeah, yeah yeah but like but you're as a grown-ass man aren't yeah. gonna be getting those are things. you gonna be needing like, those you antibodies past that critical window of like i need x y and z nutrients right. and hormones right 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 right. like right. sure you'll get some of them but like are you a, a two-year-old that's absorbing the same amount of nutrients right right, right. that's very true very true no But is there anything that you would say, like, so you're talking about how, you know, let's say, let's use a goat as an example, right? Like they stop breastfeeding because they want to have another baby. What happens if you're breastfeeding and you get pregnant, like, and you're still making milk? Like, are there any repercussions there? Like, are there any anomalies that happen? Like, For those of us who don't know, your milk supply is brought on by a flush of prolactin and oxytocin after you give birth. This is why they tell you, or this is why they pull a baby out of you. Mm-hmm. And the thing that stops the contractions from happening, the pushing your baby out if you deliver vaginally, and the things that they give you to induce pregnancy are those two hormones. So what happens is, is, is you get this flush of oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Like when you go in, and you get Pitocin. Pitocin. Well, they gave me Pitocin. Just a mimetic of oxytocin. But, you know, they gave me Pitocin to stop my contractions. I mean, to have me Again. start contracting so it would close mm-hmm. up because my everything was falling out Correct. of my Correct. So, like, you need you need all of that drug in your body to, to sort of terminate pregnancy. Yeah. And then you get to a point where you stop producing that because you're no longer pregnant. Right. Flush of a new hormone that causes your milk supply to come up. Wow. When you get pregnant again, you're going to start producing oxytocin. Wow. So it's just going to counteract your milk supply. 
Wow. So you'll still produce. There are many pregnant mothers who are still breastfeeding. Right. Ask them how much their milk production has dropped. Probably. And that's the golden question. And it's just like fundamentally hard to be quite literally, again, evolution is first principles, delivering a baby in a field or in a manger and like having another baby. <laughs> yes. Well, do people, so it's just like a, you know, do people, yeah, um, people do it. Wow. You know, something that I, I had read, um, because a friend of, of mine had said that their friend in Florida, that this happened to in Florida. So who knows? It could be a Florida thing, but is it true that women that are still breastfeeding and then get pregnant have a higher percentage of having twins? There's a, uh, someone's going to fact check me on this. There's a hormone that, that, that ramps up early in pregnancy, maybe GSH, GSK, something like that. Uh-huh. Where if you take that hormone and you throw it through the roof, yeah, the odds of your embryo splitting are high. Go up. And we still don't know why an embryo splits, right? Yeah, that's like a, a real scientific nightmare yeah. trying to answer. Okay, we're not like we know that. how. We know how it splits. Right. Why? I have no idea. Yeah. That's why people that do IVF, because those hormone levels are so high, they like pump you full of everything. Right. To like try and get an embryo to take. Right, and that's why it splits. And they'll implant multiples, so multiples will happen, and then some of those embryos will split. It's just like a hormone balance thing. Wow. So, like, that's the the clock you're racing against. Yeah. There is a series of papers, I want to say, from the late 90s, and it's still an ongoing research area Mm. where, theoretically, if you give the correct cocktail at the right time of hormones in the correct order, you can get males to produce milk. Biologically what? born males. Wow. We have the same breast tissue. Man. Sure. Yeah, I guess you're right. The reason I have nipples is because we both start out as the same sex in an embryo. Yeah. So the tissue's the same. The the reason why I don't produce milk is because I don't have the right hormone. Wow. But like biologically so speaking, there's no real reason why you couldn't if you drugged it correctly. Wow. So like again, like the 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 in real life, for other animals that are much different social dynamics, mm-hmm. are the reasons they stop breastfeeding is because they get pregnant again. Yeah. And if you're like a mouse, you're not like doing like oh like I have a job to balance and I can't pump at work and like that. You just like well, not for nothing. The the, the mice that work in at, for the government <laughs> and for the science, um, they have jobs. They have hard jobs. <laughs> But like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I know. So yeah. to, to answer your question, the reason why people care, I presume, is they just, it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. Just yeah. like socially speaking. Yeah. And I'm like, who cares? Yeah. Who like, cares? Who cares? A lot of it is like weird, sicko men. <laughs> but you know what's been so surprising <laughs> is the, the people that keep commenting, I'll say for mm-hmm. me, and this kind of ties into my third and final thing is is how I love that you said, like, don't tell women what they should do. Like, stop telling people, that, you know, women what to do with their bodies, you know. But what's so funny is it's women that have been saying to me, oh, you're not done yet? And it's this weird. Well, you guys are like. But it's but it's an old, it's either the generation of my mom, right, who, who are like, why are you still doing this? Like, blah, 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 all this stuff. Or. Or it's this weird generation that's my generation, okay? And I know that you know this, where it's like, 
Everything is super like regimented. Everything is on a schedule. Everything is black and white. There's no gray. There's nothing in between. And you're just like, I truly feel like I am a hippie and never in a million years would I consider myself to be a hippie. But I feel like that in the sense where I'm like, oh, like lady wants a tit. Let's have a tit. (laughs) But that's what's (laughs) no, but I mean like it's bizarre. It is it's control. Yeah, but it is such a chaotic world that we live in yeah people don't know and then they grasp onto the thing that they can control right and then they find social environments in which people have have views that are similar to theirs yeah uh i think i explained this i uh i made a comment in a meeting earlier this week some something akin to if you ask a bunch of people at aa how they feel about alcohol you'll get the same answer yeah like uh, you, you stuff people that consume very diverse sources of information into the same room, mm. into the same friend groups, into the same chambers. They all converse amongst themselves. They find a, 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 a ground truth that appears to be real to them. For some people, that is you should stop breastfeeding at six months. Mm-hmm. Some people, that is you should stop breastfeeding at one year. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that is you should breastfeed for until they're five, until they stop, until you get tired of it. Yeah. Till your nipples crack and bleed until you can't fucking do it anymore. Yeah. Like, like, but like the real interesting thing to me is like, why do those groups infight? Like they want the same thing. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, you're all justifying your decisions. Mm-hmm. Wherever you fall in one of those groups is being like, I'm doing the thing that I believe is the healthiest for my The fact that people are like, no, you're doing it wrong. Like we should just do a mom group episode where like we read Facebook mom group posts and just be like, these people are absolutely evil to each other. Incredible. (laughs) I am so down for that. And I'm just like, I don't get it. I understand why Mm -hmm. you are so tired and anxious and resource strapped and like all of the things, but why it manifests is I am better than you or the decisions I'm making are better than the decisions you're making Mm -hmm. are sort of, I don't want to say confusing to me. Mm. But they're like, guys, we're all trying to organize around the same thing. Yeah. Like, I don't get it. And like, there's so many unknowns. But I think that's the world that we live well, in. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's so many unknowns. There's there's some person in the current reality that we live in that says the reason that, that you know, your child will be a, a, a roaring success or failure at, at age 35 was because they you, you breastfed them for yeah. 15 months. And only if you would have done seven months, they would have been the next president of the United States. Like, you know what I mean? There's just such a a benign absurdity associated with like, even if someone goes out and runs a clinical trial and they're like, "Mm, you know, 12 months and four and a half days Mm -hmm. is the correct time to stop breastfeeding. Like, I don't know, people that do it plus or minus six months, like the outcomes associated with with those decisions are minuscule at best. Yeah. Like, why is the question, we must find the exact date that's that's maximally optimal and not like, I don't know, why don't we just like Let it give be. pregnant women more resources and give new moms opportunities to make decisions that yeah. they should feel empowered to do? And that they should do what they want. And I, but but I like have to a say a lot of the reason why people stop breastfeeding so soon is because they have to go back to work. 
Well, so like and if that's we fair. Solved, if that's we fair. solved maternal, no, but like what I'm saying is like if we solved maternal care, oh, of course, are we like provided people with better resources to pump at work? Like, don't you think naturally people would be like, oh, it's more socially acceptable to breastfeed longer? Yeah, like it's just a function of of society, and like these people can't see the forest when they're in the trees. It's also doctors too, you know, like I know certain doctors, like uh, like my pediatrician and some yeah. other pediatricians, like they have c- conflicting opinions, you know what I mean? As to like when, like when you should stop using a pacifier, when you should stop using the bottle, you know. It's just it's a like, belief system, man. So then, it's all a belief system. Exactly, it's all a belief system. And we are here to tell you. If it actually killed you, we would have figured it out by now. 100%. It would have been so blatantly obvious yes. that it actually mattered yes. that we would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, smoking causes lung cancer kind of nonsense. Yeah. Well, all I'm going to say is do what you got to do. Don't tell moms what to do. David, this has been such a fantastic episode. We're going to have so many more fun facts and fun, exciting things coming your way. Um, David, we love you so much. You're the best. Um, and we will have some more Beauty in the Brain soon.